welcome to Real Talk. Real Talk is about real conversations with real people regarding diversity in higher education. I am your co-host, Jamil Harp, a student activist. And I'm Casey Counselor, a professor in the Communication, Media, and Screen Studies Department at Southern Connecticut State University. All right, Jamil, let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Casey, today we're about to have an exciting conversation, debunking some myths about what it is to be transgender. That's right. And, you know, we've talked about LGBTQ identities actually many times in this podcast, in part because we have these identities. But I've been thinking about how there's some pretty basic things that we've sort of skipped over and assumed that people know, right? Very much. I find often there's so much misinformation around what does it mean to be trans. There's so much fear around what does that mean for those of us living in communities. And when we don't know, especially coming out the mouths of trans people, what it means to be trans, um, I find it really helps transphobia thrives. Mm. It thrives in darkness. It thrives in the shadows of lies. So I think today is a good day to debunk some (laughs) myths about transness and tell y'all exactly what it is. So, KC, what does it mean to be trans? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a huge question, right? So, what is it? What does transgender mean? Um, that's a pretty big umbrella term. Oh, yeah. Um, and within that term, I mean, the most basic definition I would say is folks who don't identify with the sex that they are assigned at birth. So, the baby pops out, the doctor you know, says it's a boy, it's a girl, writes, you know, F or M on the birth certificate. And, you know, eventually for trans people, there becomes a point where, you know, we don't identify anymore. Um, Or maybe we never did with Mm -hmm. the sex assigned at birth. So I was assigned female at birth. um, And I identify a transition, identify as male, um, a man of trans experience, um, but that's that's basically what we're talking about when we say transgender is not necessarily, I feel like this used to be the narrative was, quote unquote, that you're born into the wrong body. Mm. And one thing I really love right now is that, you know, people are having a different approach and saying, you know, no body is wrong. So, you know, we're born, we have bodies. And instead of saying, our bodies wrong or being ashamed of our our bodies that instead you know it's just that we don't identify with the sex that we were assigned at birth um and so i like to push back against this born into the wrong body narrative because i think it can actually cause a lot of harm um mm-hmm. and it internalized shame for folks um extra baggage that we don't need in this in this day and age so within this transgender really big umbrella um, sometimes people also get confused about terminology we use within the transgender mm-hmm. umbrella, right? So um, if I say, if I'm talking about a trans man or a trans woman, um, what does that mean, Jamil, to you? That you're talking about someone that is identifying as male or female. They're tra- they have transitioned from something else into this. And that's what we're going with now. Mm-hmm. And of course, yeah. you know, there are some people, 
you know, you hear a lot of different terminology and sometimes people push back about that. They're like, I just got the this terminology. Now you're telling me there's mm. new words. Um, but there are some transgender people who don't, um, you know, they don't identify, they, they primarily just identify as male or female. Yes. Or yes. non-binary. So, yes. And, and, or maybe both, like I identify as a man, but also as a trans man. I think that's, yes, that's a good point. I see exactly what you're saying because often when I'm talking with folks that are trans, I don't even necessarily bring up the trans, you know, they're just a man or a woman. And then if the conversation is specific to transness, then maybe that label is attached. So I see exactly what you mean, but I can see how some folks may want that label attached or may not want it attached. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring up a good point right there too, that, um, it's good to follow people's lead in terms of language. So folks will tell you how to address mm -hmm. them and just go with with what that is. Similar to, I think, other terms like, you know, some people prefer Black versus African-American and just go yes. with that person-centered language. Very much. Because I think, you know, language is very intentional. So maybe I will identify as Black some days and African-American other days. I am both. Mm -hmm. But maybe if I'm having a conversation with me being an African-American, it's more specific and intentional, then I will use that language. Or if I want to be more um, general, I use Black. So you're right. You know, we have to be intentional with language and follow what the people say is a good way of doing that because we all have different preferences. Mm -hmm. Same thing with pronouns. You know, let's not question folks' pronouns. Let's go with what they want to go with. Absolutely. And you know, that also a lot of times when we tend to talk about trans people, a lot of times we're looking, we're talking about the binary, trans men, trans mm. women, and we're leaving out folks who are non-binary, uh, agender, folks who, who, who do not, who think of themselves as in between or in the middle of the spectrum, um, mm. that we can look at gender as a spectrum, male to female, everywhere in between. Um, and I know that we're, we're, we were just saying like, hey, let's do sort of a, a one-on-one kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. And then now I'm taking us down another path. But I think I think people can get that. I think people can understand that, you know, there are some like highly feminine folks. And then there are, you know, like let's say cisgender women. Certainly I know a huge range. Folks who are very feminine, embrace that, love that. And then folks who are really... Um, you know, they identify as women, but they're more masculine in, in demeanor, in appearance, in style, um, and yet still women. So, and the same with men, right? You know where a lot of people, I think, get confused, Jamil, is between gender identity and sexuality. I find often people conflate the two. Hmm. People always try to conflate gender and sexuality. And I think because as a society, we don't do a good enough job of differentiating the two. Mm -hmm. I think very basically to talk about the difference between gender and um, sexuality is gender is who you are. Sexuality is who you love, right? <laughs> like yeah. who I am as a person is different from who I love. It can be potentially. So I identify as a man and I might who I love, it's also men. So who I am does not need to be who I love and who I love does not need to be who I am. Um, so that's why I think it's kind of the basic way of differentiating that is, you mm -hmm. know, who are you, one, and then who do you love? Who are you attracted to? Who do you want to be in relationships with? And there could be a many 
answers to that, but mine says, you know, I'm gay and I'm a man. Um, so yeah, that makes me gay. So two different things. I find often when we get in the conversation of especially transness, they go, you know, why can't they just be gay? Because that's not who they are. Right. There's somebody different than that. That's exactly right. Um, and, you know, my friend Tony Ferriolo, um, who's a, a trans man advocate, uh, a long time in New Haven and in Connecticut, he often says, um, gender identity is what's between your ears. Mm. Biological sex is what's between your legs. So that's another component, right? That I identify as a man, you know, and, and then also that, like, what's anybody's business too? Very that, much. That, you know, somebody's biological sex, somebody's physical self is less your business than who they're, than their gender expression, gender orientation. Yeah, um, because it's not anyone's business. But, you know, if people are trying to figure this out for themselves, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, thinking about it internally, who you want to, like, what's your gender internally? Mm -hmm. You know, does it match up with your biological gender? Your gender assigned at birth, um, I think, is a conversation folks should have within themselves. Um, Who do you love? You know, who are you romantically attracted to? And then also, how do you express your gender? Like, how do you dress? Um, What kind of, how are you showing yourself to the world? How are you expressing yourself? Because we can all express gender differently, Mm -hmm. which doesn't have to be closely related to our actual gender itself, which I think may also trip people up. Yes, yes, yes. I know. We keep doing this saying like, oh, we're going to, let's just lay it out. simple conversation. And and the thing is that in some ways it is simple, but it does break these binary gendered yes. um, assumptions and the assumptions of heterosexuality. Um, and so that is that does tend to come across as as complicated. So we're doing this as simply as we can. Or well, as, people are complicated. People are complicated. People are complicated. And I find that. You know, a lot of times, well-intending folk be like, why can't it just be simple? You know, I just learned a term last week. I don't Mm -hmm. get why it's not like it used to be. There has been people living like this our entire life, generations before us and before them. These are not new things. We just now have spaces where we can openly speak about them. And it it should give us all freedom to be who we want to be. Exactly. You can dress how you would like to dress. You don't have to dress the way in which society says that your gender should dress. You can dress whichever way feels comfortable, powerful. Clothes should make you feel powerful. Mm -hmm. They should make you feel authentically you. You can show up to the world being your truest self. You know, what gender you want to be, what sexuality you want to be, and how you want to show that to the world, whether you want to do it publicly in private or you want to do that in a different way. So I think instead of folks being like, oh, goodness, this is too much. Mm. Um, I can't I, I can't keep up. I'm not sure this is a good idea. It's great for all of us, right. because if we could all live like our truest selves, then we all can be free. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I wouldn't add a single word to what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so, you know, which brings us back to where we started this conversation is that there's a lot of fear that people have around issues of transness um, because there's so much that folks don't know. And, you know, we fear the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of 
and you know, also when we don't know a lot, that means that, that we become vulnerable to misinformation too. So, I mean, one way that that is, 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 or one place where that shows up is not understanding like what does transition mean or what does transition yes. look like? Or how long does it take? Mm-hmm. Folks typically have questions around that. I think everyone's transition is different. It's unique to them, yep. unique to their availability to healthcare, unique to their circumstances, and also depends on what exactly transition means to that particular person, because that will mean something different to different people. Right. And so, yes, that brings up a good point. So not all people who identify as transgender decide to go on hormones or decide to have gender affirming surgeries. Many do, but also many don't. So it's not a given that that people who identify as transgender will seek medical transition. I would also assume that's expensive, too. It it often is expensive. And again, it depends um, and is mostly not covered by insurance. Um, So you have uh, a variability in costs. And of course, depending on on what kind of care someone is seeking, you know, different different costs. But a lot of times it is inaccessible to many people because of cost, among other things. That brings up a good point. When we're talking about healthcare bills and we're talking about all these trans bills regarding sports, what is healthcare companies saying about the trans community? Well, so the, one of the things with the yes, so that we should be asking, you know, when these bills are coming up that would criminalize healthcare for youth, for trans youth, what are healthcare organizations, what are doctors? saying about this, you know, this, this deals directly with their work of, of providing medical care. Um, and, you know, the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, the American Academy of Pediatrics, American Nurses Association, American Heart Association, like you name it, um, support trans-affirming care. Um, so I think we should pay attention because those are the major organizations um, of healthcare providers. And we should be listening to them when it comes down to um, issues regarding healthcare, rather than deferring to government decisions about care. Um, but there, you know, a lot of times people think that it's easy to to get care as a trans person or as a trans youth. Oh, um, it's not. It's and it's really, not. it's really not. I mean, I'll say that in Connecticut, the one of the providers, it's it's a year to even get in. To the program. Um, and beyond that, like the process actually takes some time. There's psychological care. Um, there's, you know, barriers in terms of, um, you know, there are a lot of places in the U.S. where you could live where it wouldn't be possible to find care. Um, and then for youth, uh, it's not easy. Again, it's not an easy process to qualify for or to get onto hormone blockers. But what blockers do is they really, they buy a young person some time. You know, they, they put a pause to, to keep you from going through puberty um, in, according to your natal sex. Um, and you can imagine like, you know, if you're a, a trans girl going through puberty as a, you know, biological male would be really traumatic. And if, and if we can pause while someone's getting you know, older, um, 
so that they can make their own decisions, you know, just becoming uh, more of a young adult, just to make sure that they're certain. That's what, what hormone blockers do. So A, those are not easy to get on and B, um, they're very safe, um, effective and have been used for quite some time. Even when we're speaking about trans youth, I hear this comment a lot on social media that I support the trans community, but I don't believe that we should allow our youth to transition. A mm. lot of folks think that it's harm, harmful for the child to allow them to make a grown-up decision at a young age. I also hear the same argument used for children that want to be gay or lesbian mm. or queer. Like, we're not old enough to make the decision for ourselves. What do you think about that? Well, you know, I recently heard a really great analogy that comes from a young trans person, which is, at what age are you, um, at what age do you decide whether to be right-handed or left-handed? Mm. You don't decide. You know what, you know intrinsically what feels right. Um, I mean, I'm, I write with my right hand, and if I write with my left hand, it looks different. It's not to say that I can't do it, but it certainly doesn't feel that's a good way. Natural. Of Isn't that a good way? Because good there way is, um, it's not a decision in the same way. It's a knowing of yourself mm-hmm. is what I would say. Um, and a lot of, you know, um, I think about parents of trans kids who they wish that their kid weren't trans until they reach the point that they're like, my kid is not going to survive unless I allow them to be who they are. Um, and so uh, it's not, I think listening to to parents of trans kids who are supportive, but especially listening to those who were resistant at first and then came to a, a moment where they're like, my eight-year-old kid doesn't want to live anymore because yeah. he can't be himself. Then, I, you know, I just think that it can really be harmful, abusive, to deny a kid their who they are. And, and it, it becomes, you know, often trans folks, like we come to a place where we're, it's like a, a fork in the road where we can't do it anymore. So we, and if we choose to, to stay here on this planet, uh, we need to live as our authentic selves. And people typically use that as a reason why you should not allow your child to be trans because look, all this bad stuff can happen. But I think what people fail to realize is if we in our families supported trans youth and our trans family members, if we as a society in our workplaces and our schools and our education zones and sports, if we all accepted the community, they would be no harm. Right. Like I'm not saying it'd be easy. But folks would feel supported, love, with a sense of belonging. And that's what we all search for as humans. And I, I find that, you know, especially parents, you know, dealing with children, children don't really have too much autonomy over themselves. But, you know, parents are well-intentioned. They want them to have, like, of course. the best life they could have and not make the same mistakes they made and, you know, that whole spill. But I think one of the biggest things about parenting and parenting, right, is about teaching, giving your child all the tools they need in order to be the best selves they can be. And that's something my mother did for me. And I really thank her for doing because she allowed me to make my own decisions over who I was, who I am, and where I was going. And mm-hmm. I think as a parent, that is the best gift you can give any child when dealing with any tough conversation. 
because I always knew I was gay. I may not mm-hmm. have the language to explain that. Right. right. At like five years old, at like eight years old, I didn't have the language to explain my sexuality or really to understand the concept itself. But I knew I was extremely different from others. Mm-hmm. And That's I how would, it starts. Yeah. I know I'm different. I'm not exactly sure how. Yes. Yes. You know you are. People go, oh, goodness, the movies is making them turn this. It is. I don't know what movie turns people gay or trans. If so, that movie needs an Oscar. Um, (laughs) Because that must be some real powerful cinematography happening. That's right. Uh, But no, it's something so intrinsic inside yourself. And then one day you had the language to express that to the world. Uh, Or the power and the want to. Jamel, knowing you, I just think it's funny. I I just can't imagine anyone trying to change you. (laughs) Good luck. Good luck. Your mom knows what's up. I was a very strong-minded child. I was. And you're a strong-minded adult. (laughs) Yeah. um, I don't know how I came out like this. I think when you allow a child to have their own voice at a young age, they will keep their voice and use it. And that's what I think went right for me. And Mm. so I think when we're looking at trans youth, I think it's about allowing trans youth to have a voice and to use their voice and to allow them in spaces, not just allow, but accept them and love them. Because you can allow folks into spaces that does not mean they belong, that does not Mm. mean you that they're safe and happy, but we should accept them into our spaces and love them like they were our Mm. own. Um, And then I think that would solve a lot of folks' problems because often people are talking about trans youth and never met a trans youth. That's right. Never asked. Never call nobody. Never ask nobody. Mm-hmm. Please, people, call and ask. The best way to beat transphobia is by meeting a trans person. It humanizes the situation. We talk about people like they don't exist. Like they don't have lives, children, jobs, lives of their own. Yep. And, you know, this is where the fact that we are statistically not that many. We're numerically a lot of people, like in the U.S., for example, Um But yeah, I mean, we're talking like 1% perhaps of the population. So it can be the case that people think that they've never met a trans person. But have. um, But likely have. Um, And it's why I love to be a professor and to be out because I engage with a lot of folks who are, you know, they're on their way to whatever career, whatever place they're going to end up. And if I'm the first one that they know, first person, trans person they know, that's fantastic because I can help to to kind of normalize, humanize um, this experience, which is, you know, being trans is not all of who a person is. Absolutely and it's not. also a very important part of who, who people are. That's exactly how I feel about sexuality. It's not like a huge piece of me, but it like it kind of is. I feel that. I feel right. that. Huh. Right. That's why they so, plop us underneath the same umbrella, I suppose. Oh, that umbrella. It's a big one. It's a large one. <laughs> one day we should break it down, but it's a very large one. That's right. Well, I do want to say one more thing before we introduce our guest for this podcast. And we've been really chatting it up in this. In we this wanted meeting. to give you a context, you know, a little context before the conversation. A little context. So I, I, we're going to link in the show notes an article, a recent article from Scientific American, um, because a lot of these myths happen, you know, in the language of of science. And this recent article really breaks down a lot of myths, especially having to do with sports. Um, for example, and Jamal, I'm sure you've heard this many times, uh, the idea that like, if you have higher levels of testosterone, you must be faster, stronger, better at sports than people who have less testosterone. You've heard this? 
Yeah, it's not really how uh, bodies work. It, yeah, it's really, it's not. Um, and there are... Not so simple. It's not so simple. Um, and so I think when we when we pause and really actually look at what is the data that's backing up this idea that trans girls or trans women are inherently better than cisgender women, that the, those arguments really break down when you look at the science. So we're going to share that article um, in the show notes for folks who want to look at that um, some more. And then we have really a fantastic conversation with two uh, advocates, allies, activists, trans activists who do so much work for our communities here in Connecticut, who are joining us for this conversation. We have Elliot Olson, uh, who's a current student at Columbia, and he is the program officer for trans, intersex, non-binary folks um, at the New Haven Pride Center. He's also the director of development for Life in My Days in Waterbury. And then we have Carly Chardonnay-Webb, who is a writer, contributor to OutSports. Uh, she's an organizer. She's a competitive cyclist, runner. She's a multi-sport athlete and a staff operator for Trans Lifeline. So we have a, a fantastic conversation with the two of them. Enjoy it. Hello. Welcome back, everyone. Casey, today I think we're going to have a real fiery conversation, don't you think? I know we are. Um, welcome to our two guests, to Elliot and Carly. We are here to talk about anti-trans bills, and we're here to bust some common myths about trans people and really get into this this conversation that's uh, so, so important to have right now. Very much. Thank you for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here, both of you. We're so honored to have you both on the podcast. You two are doing some amazing work in your communities. And I'm so excited to dive deeper and learn more about what resources we're talking about. What are you guys doing? All that. I'm so excited. Uh, but as we know, there has been a rise of anti-trans bills arise. It seems like there's hundreds happening. There's two in Connecticut. Ah, can we explain why there's a rise in anti-trans bills? I think I'll let Carly take this one away because I don't know. I, the way she answers this question, um, I, I think she words it best. Now, El, I know, Elliot, I know you're going to say in a little bit that visibility does not mean resources. And I'm in total agreement with that 100%. But the one thing you have to understand is that in many ways, LGBTQ visibility and support is 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 at a high tide is at a high tide and has been trending up for a number of years and those who are seeking to stop it are thinking we need a foothold and they found one pick on trans people specifically young trans girls and trans women who want to play sports that's what they're doing because they figure that's one we can sell to Eddie and Edna Punch mm. Clock and they're selling it unfortunately they're selling it to the tune of bills in 33 states. Think about it. There's 50 states in the United States, mm -hmm. 50. And in 33 of them, you've either passed this legislation, you're debating this legislation, or you introduced this legislation. There's an area from roughly Key West, Florida, west to Arizona, and in the north, as far as far east as Ohio, all the way to about Idaho that I call no trans land. Because mm. that's what this country's turning into. I mean, Carly, I, I have... 
let's just take a a collective (laughs) breath. Um, I appreciate your putting this in the context of, of this long tide towards LGBTQ rights and, and freedom and this being a backlash because, you know, it's so pervasive. This anti, these anti-trans conversations are so pervasive right now that it can be easy to be really pulled down. Um, and I certainly have been feeling this quite intensely because the narratives that they're selling to people, you know, and, and I know that all, not everyone who is um, supporting these anti-trans bills really knows what's going on. In fact, most people are they're sold a false bill of goods. So that's something I'm really hoping we can get into today is the false narratives that folks who would otherwise be trans supportive, uh, are, they're just being misled. Um, so I really want to break down some of these things, um, including in terms of sports. I mean, so Elliot, maybe I'll ask you this. And I, I have a list at least of 12 myths um, off the top of my head. But when you think about these trans sports bills, what what are some of the common myths that you've been hearing circulating? Um, I mean, you know, before uh, I, I stepped into or logged into the studio here, I was actually going online to see if I could look at the actual language of some of the legislation, um, despite just how people are talking about it. And all of it is is centered around like save women's sports um it's it's kind of under this guise of uh gender equality um which kind of makes it very tricky in that you know what what they're saying is that look a a, a trans woman is a biological man and therefore since she is a biological man she has an unfair advantage and that equals cheating um which to anyone who is a trans athlete is completely bogus um, because the amount of uh, rigmarole you have to go through to even get to that point, um, it's, it's not just like people are saying, you know, oh, I want to I wanna win more easily, so I'm just going to decide to be on the women's team now. That, that's not what's happening. Um, and so, like, there's kind of this myth of that, people um kind of invalidating transness first and foremost and that it's just boys trying to play um Mm. and then there's also this separate myth that uh there isn't a standardized testing before the process Mm. um and that there is a dramatic difference um physiologically um and it really, to me, is just very much a straw man fa- fallacy of like an exaggerated argument put to people who don't know the actual facts to begin with. So they'll just take what is given as information. And to say that, you know, statistically, including intersex trans people, we're talking yeah. less than 3% of the population, um, you know, more give or take a little bit. Numerically, we are many people. But some of the states where these bills are coming up, there are not any trans kids participating in sports, um, which begs the question, why are we spending time and resources legislating this? Well, Carly said this uh, a couple um, uh, last meeting ago about how this is really a Trojan horse. And and um, when you saw all these bills coming for bathrooms, um, 
and I think Carly's the one who said it, this is basically the next bathroom bill. Um, and truly, if you follow the money of who is supporting these bills, who is pushing these bills, naming names, the same thing comes up. Um, and uh, the ADF is kind of just like putting in all the seed money and going, you know, you do it, but we'll back you. And it very much is pushing a moral agenda under the guise of, oh, this is just common sense. Um, this is a gender equality thing. This has nothing to do with any transphobic things. This is about science and equality and justice. And protecting women. Um, right. And like, uh, that obviously matters, but that is not what they are doing. <laughs> well, also, to piggyback on Elliot's point, these these organizations are the same people that fought Title IX. I'm mm. talking about organizations like the Alliance Defending Freedom, a group that I that we must must point out right out of the gate. They are they are cited by the Southern Poverty Law Center, perhaps this nation's foremost experts on hate groups in this country. They are cited as an anti-LGBTQ hate group by the Southern Poverty Law Center. Let that sink in. Groups like the ADF and the Heritage Foundation are saying they're going to save women's sports. These are the same people that have spent 50 years trying to repeal Title IX. Mm. The federal law that, that basically grants equal opportunity for women in ed education, in employment, in athletics. They've been trying to kill it since it was implemented in 1972. Let that sink in. In fact, if you want to know something, go on Twitter. In fact, go to Bryn Tannehill's Twitter. Bryn Tannehill, author, author, uh, former Navy pilot, uh, just general all-around transgender badass. And in fact, she has a book coming out talking about the rise of fascism in this country and where it could go in this country. Um, she has a she has a Twitter thread that shows chapter and verse on how far these organizations have stood against the rights of women. Take trans out of the equation, just women's rights alone, be it reproductive rights, education, violence against women, Title IX, literally since the 1970s. She lays out the full history of it. So it's truly disingenuous when you look at the mm -hmm. history of these groups that they are being seen as these defenders of women when they spent time castigating it. And also I'd be remiss. Also, I want to put all on uh, one more thing to all the bar stew dude bros who are doing sports talk radio in this country. <sighs> you are the same people. You can't make fun of the WNBA on Monday and then turn around and say, we support women's sports on Tuesday just because you just don't like transgender people. It's disingenuous. It's a lie. It's a crock. And yes, I'm calling it out. I'm talking to you. That's what these things are really about. That's what this is really about. This is about, once again, people trying to erase trans people and, by extension, LGBTQ people out of American life. That has been their goal. And here's the thing. If you don't believe me, if you think I'm blowing smoke, if you're saying, oh, Carly, it's a, I've had people say, oh, Carly, that's a conspiracy theory. Go to their websites, read their position papers. I'm not saying anything about any of these groups that they haven't said about themselves. Mm -hmm. Let that sink in. I love that you started 
this entire conversation, we're talking about the accomplishments we have made over 30 years. And I think that's something hopeful that regardless of people's efforts to further marginalize and isolate us as a community, that we have been able to overcome those barriers. I love that you started there. But it also reminds me of, if you're not vigilant, the human rights in which you have won in the past can be stripped bare. As much as we make progress, recession is always at the tip of the table. It is always waiting on the other side. And we have seen that historically throughout this country, that when we win battles, we have to keep fighting them every generation. We have to keep fighting them every year to make sure that we keep the rights in which we win and which we deserve. And so I really love that you're naming the organizations because I think a lot of folks are unsure of where this information is coming from. Right. Where is this topic coming from? Why is it front pages of news organizations? Why is this a hot topic? All of a sudden, it felt like it just appeared out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. A couple of years ago, no one was speaking about this topic. And then now all of a sudden, here it is like it's on top of everyone's agenda during a global pandemic and a racial war, I should add. So I love that you're naming these things and that people are having a chance to understand who is backing these talking points, who are backing these beliefs and trying to isolate communities. Thank you for that. That was that was that was good. And I'm I'm really keeping my eye on these bills. There's one in Texas and there's one in New Hampshire that define giving uh, trans youth gender affirming care as child abuse, Mm -hmm. which could subject parents to losing their children. Um, And so those, you know, this, you know, Carly was mentioning uh, kind of a trend that we're seeing towards trying to legislate trans people out of existence. Mm -hmm. That doesn't work. We will still be here. It's just a matter of uh, suffering. So I'm really, you know, that part is concerning me that if, okay, so with the bathroom bills, for the most part, that didn't pass. You know, we saw a lot of resistance to that. Now we're looking at sports. I, I feel like there were probably focus groups and, and a, you know, real strategizing for, for what's a, a pain point for people. So now we see sports, but now we're seeing this part about healthcare and gender affirming care. And I think we're first gonna see it for youth, but I'm concerned about seeing it for all trans people of all ages. Um, that is where I think we really need to um, keep the pressure and keep our attention. I absolutely agree with that. I think healthcare is the biggest one, one of the biggest issues um, for the trans community, maybe just beyond safety and jobs. Um, just we we rely on our medical care for not only the hormone therapy we might elect to have, but just our general health. Um, it's 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 a life sustaining structure. Um, and you know, I was so happy to see places like New York, um, and like trans health get put into Medicaid. Um, but there's very much the opposite happening at the same time. Um, and I think you're totally right that kind of transness, pardon me, is, is being kind of ridden away and out of, 
um, which is interesting because it, it actually did used to be in the DSM and uh, was absolutely something that, you know, during a certain time period, if you were publicly found out, let's say, um, would have had different different uh, consequences. Um, but it just blows my mind that, like you were saying, the part of the bill where if you affirm your child's gender identity, that is child abuse, because I can't think of anything more abusive than not affirming it, um, especially when you look at uh, rates of um, suicide and running away. And specifically, it's interesting for Connecticut, even though we're so blue, we have some of the highest rates in this state for LGBTQ homelessness for youth, um, which is astounding because it's like, what? what are you talking about? We have all the gay families here. Um, but the opposite is happening at the same time. And there has to be something there. And it's when they don't have those support structures within their families or within their institutions, like their doctor, who they should be able to trust and ask for help, um, that they find their own way. And we found our own way before and we'll do it if we need to, but we need to keep the struggle on what we already have, like Jamil was saying, um, and not just think we've won anything and kind of keep our defenses up. My question is too, we can talk about Republicans being a huge part of the problem, but how else even Democrats, other people also uphold transphobia, also uphold these things? I'm not... um, I'm pretty sure we have these issues in other communities as well. So are there other issues that we're not calling out as well that we should be bringing in? If I may, yes. Mm -hmm. ENDA. Mm -hmm. Back in 2009, when the Employment Non-Discrimination Act was passed, but to get it through Congress, they said, let's take out the trans rights writers. Democrats did that. During this recent time when the Republicans in this state, we're demonizing two, tra- two African-American transgender girls to raise campaign cash outside of maybe Jeff Curry in our state Senate and a couple others. A lot of Democrats are kind of staying silent on that. This is a by take the political parties out for a second. This is beyond whatever your particular political color is, according to the maps. I mean, I don't want to get too hammer and on this being that I, being that I am a I'm Marxist and Leninist and socialist but this goes beyond what party you're about this is about right and wrong you're either for human rights or you're not that's what we're really talking about here so it, it goes Jamila goes beyond party for me this is about how do you stand on human rights how do you stand on real democracy what do you stand on human freedom and and let's expand this out a little bit more the very people that are putting up these bills are the same people who said that what happened January 2nd at the nation's capital was okay. The same people that are putting up these bills are the same people that are right now saying that officer Chauvin didn't do anything wrong in Minnesota. The same people that are for these bills are the same people that'll put that, that'll put that knee on my neck and Jamil on your neck and say that that cop, that cop was just doing their job. The same people that are for these bills have no problem with what's going on in our southern border. And many of those people 
are and were who are at that southern border fleeing were fleeing persecution from those countries partially because American policies in those countries which allowed those governments in those countries to beat down on LGBTQ people. I'm gonna butt up against you, Carly. I I, I think you're wrong, and uh, I'm sorry. I know I'm I'm totally like pushing myself in, um, <laughs> but like I think. There are a lot of well-meaning liberals who uh, feel like there's a common sense. And I think it's very telling, you know, that these acts are about gender equality and about women's rights. And I and and I think you, we're getting a lot more of not just a Trumpian effect um, because, you know, that's 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 known and signed and sealed. Um, that's that's not news. Uh, I, I think the tricky part of it is when, you know, when the ADF, the Heritage Foundation is like, oh, you know, you care about gender equality? Well, look at this bill. We're, we're just trying to um, uh, defend women's rights to fair sports and a uh, very particular definition of women there. I'm just going to throw in. And... Um, you know, oh, you, you can't, you can't not be for gender equality. So what are you going to do about it? And it, it really is just a complete manipulation of the facts. Um, and to kind of have a liberal set of Americans be like, oh, um, I've never met a trans person. You think? Um, uh, I, I care about gender equality. I, I can get behind this. That's, that seems to make a kind of sense. Um, so yeah, I, I just kind of disagree. Like for sure what you're saying, like the people who are supporting what's happening at the border, the people who are fine with January 6th, um, like that they're kind of shoo-ins for this. Um, but I also think there is a large subset of Democrats who are like, well, this seems to seem, this seems to be rational. Um, and it's really just for lack of information. That being said, though, the T in LGBT has been silent for a long time, and it still is, basically, whether or not Laverne Cox was on the cover of Times. Um, I, I work at the New Haven Pride Center. If anyone's heard any of the programming that I've been part of, this is something that I bring up time and again that visibility uh is not akin to resources um so right now there are trans people on tv which is insane you never could have thought that would happen 30 years ago even um let alone 50 uh they're on tv shows they're writing books they're public at work and not getting fired um hell one was just uh, elected for a federal post um but that kind of visibility is not the same as saying there's widespread acceptance and uh a huge amount of infrastructure to support the community um because resources are not visibility. We do have some resources. We have crisis resources. Um, but it kind of stops there. Like Trans Lifeline. Um, like, you know, maybe if you live in New York City, the Alley Forney Center. Um, these, these are some places it pops up. But it's not, it's not as accepted as your TV would tell you. 
um, is very much a separate picture that is happening in real life. And when you look at these bills, this is real life. Real life is not we are still going to be on the cover of magazines. Real life is that the military is the biggest employer of trans people because that's how poor and underfunded and on our toes to survive we are. This is not a place where we are um, set to live and accepted in our communities. And we have to struggle for that as much today as we did 30 years ago. Elliot, I did not know that about the military, uh, first of all, and I'm not surprised. Um, But I think, you know, what keeps coming up in this conversation is that trans people, we are already pushed to the margins. And depending on, you know, race, socioeconomic status, the region you grow up in, all of these other factors, you know, that determines like how far to the margins Mm. you are. And that something like, so to have all of this attention, all of this public pressure to exclude people who are already suffering, especially youth so much to say, you know, like a kid, when I was a kid, I grew up playing sports. Um, That was central to my identity. I played all the sports. I didn't play baseball I didn't play softball but otherwise like most of them and if if I were excluded from sports teams I would have been devastated devastated I wouldn't have known known who I was um and trans kids already struggle so much in school for a lot of different reasons and you know it's just straight up it's not easy to be trans and you know three of us can speak from experience and Jamila you know quite well um so to add it insult to injury um, with a particularly marginalized group. I'm almost like, it really, it's something that I I struggle with on a personal and emotional level. It's really difficult to witness, it's difficult to deal with, and it's pretty exhausting to counter. It is. And as someone who has played sports my entire life, I've worked in sports journalism for most for just about all of my working life, and as since Elliot so so wonderfully mentioned Trans Lifeline, I've been a staff operator for Trans Lifeline for I've been an operator for nearly three years. These things, whether first off, whether a kid plays sports or not, just hearing this constant assault on trans people, it hits all of us hard, but it especially hits the youth hard. I don't know how many, especially in this last year with this pandemic and so much isolation, to hear kids, to hear kids talk about them being bullied in school or college was my one place where I can be myself. And now because of the pandemic, it's distance learning. I'm at home with parents who can't get my pronouns right, dead name me constantly. This chips away at you. At another level, from a personal standpoint, it chips away from me because these people are taking something I love. Sport athletics is something I love. It, it's a part of me. And you're using that to demonize young people. And you're using that to come at me. That, that, that is, it, it hurts. And that's the one thing that a lot of people do not understand in all this. I, I wrote an op-ed last during on um, trans day of visibility for out sports when we talked about 
this demonization and this dehumanization and the way this story is covered, not just within the within the halls of Congress, not just within the state houses, but by the press. It is seen as transgender athletes versus women. It sounds a lot like Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla. I am not seen as a person in this. When do I get to be human? I am not a political issue. I am not a number. We are not statistics. We are people. And that's the thing that people have to understand more than anything else. And especially when you have kids. Uh, a, a textbook case. There's a little girl in Texas named Kai Shapley. This little girl brought the house down in the Texas legislature. Now, I happen to know about this kid in part because of a name that must be spoken here today. We, we would not, I would not be doing my job as a black trans woman if I did not say the name Monica Roberts right now. Mm. Monica Roberts first shed a lot of light on this little girl. I mean, I mean, Monica Roberts, Texas, I mean, black trans woman from Texas who was a strident defender of human rights and very much a hidden hero and very much underappreciated. She, she passed away last fall and her loss still being felt. But when I heard this, that little girl testified to her truth in front of her state's legislature, the voice of Monica Roberts was resoundly coming out. And it was a, and Monica in her, in her life as an activist, she fought for all trans people, but especially she fought for the kids. She, she said, those kids are my younglings. They are, I am, I'm, she was mama bear number one. And just a note on mama bears, um, since a certain congresswoman from Georgia poked a mama bear recently, I just have you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, I'm warning you, you're going to push it a little too far. And God help you if you do. <laughs> if there's one thing you don't mess with it is an affirming parent of a transgender child. They will rip your heart out and show it to you while it's beating to defend their kid. And you're seeing this nationwide. But I look at I look at I look at these people and I ask, and I want to ask you, how will you will you demean and dehumanize that little girl? Will you do it? Will you demean and dehumanize any of those kids? We already know the Connecticut Republican Party will do it. But I want to ask, I also want to ask all these legislators who are for this bill, if you're a parent, especially, if, if the ADF and the Heritage Foundation were going after you and your children, if they were calling you a child abuser and calling your kid everything but a child of God, how would you respond? Mm -hmm. How would you respond? I think it's really strategic when you think about it, too, um, because it, it really is isolation, kind of propaganda, and then extraction in a way. It's like, all right, take them out of the places where they feel bolstered, right? It's so hard to find community already as a trans youth. Um, school isn't happening and that's in the rare instance that you like school and that school likes you um, sports is a safe haven for a lot of things just for the pure fact that you are allowed to be in a peer group that um, celebrates you when literally no one does um, so isolate from 
basically your support systems dehumanize you know you're not you're not uh that little girl talking to all the politicians you are a number you are a trans athlete you're a cheater um or maybe you're this weird victim of an abusive parent that makes no sense um and then oh by the way uh, we're not going to defend your right to get a job. We're not going to defend your right to get fair housing. Um, and so you're kind of ridden straight out of existence. Straight not being the operative term. But, um, yeah, it, it, it's scary strategic when you think about it. And it's all being done behind closed doors in the shadows by like only a few couple places like these companies are are not 007 <laughs> flying around to all the legislatures this is just a lot of email sent and a lot of really crafty language um and people honestly not doing the research um into what they're actually supporting i'll say one thing that was telling uh, for me, with Kai Shapley's testimony this week, Kai is a 10-year-old girl, testified in, in front of the state legislature in Texas with her mother, Kimberly. And, you know, at the end, Kai is not, not a shy little girl, and she should not have to be doing this. At the end of her testimony, which was brilliant, she, she uh, I think someone asked, like, any questions? And she, she said, what? Nobody has any questions for me? And silence. Y'all want to know more about me? (laughs) Yes. And so I think that that is really telling, you know, like you've been debating trans people. You've been talking about us without us there. And then here you have this actual trans youth here and you don't have any questions for her. Nothing about us without us. That's right. Nothing about us without us. But that is part of it. A lot of these people... One thing I encourage ever, anyone to do, if if you're a cis person, you're listening to this and you want to know more about this issue, for starters, get to know some trans people. And most importantly, get to know some trans people with the idea that you're going to listen to what you're being told. Listen. There you I mean, you know what? You you can you can hear a lot by listening to kind of paraphrase some Yogi Berra. But one thing to point out what Elliot is saying and and what Elliot is talking about and what Elliot has done at the Pride Center is an example of this. Because Elliot, what did our what did our good friend and fellow um, and New Haven um, Pride Center staffer Maya, Maya Leonardo say? That transphobia fe- that transphobia festers in isolation. Mm. Transphobia thrives, and yeah, transphobia thrives in isolation. Mm-hmm. And and we're seeing that we're seeing that axiom play out over and over again. And what Elliot is saying is very true. These people are not 007. And in many ways, they're not exactly doing it behind closed doors. This is out in the open. If you want to know again, go to their websites, go to their position papers. They're telling you what they're for. And again, to cis people who are listening, number one. If you if you want to be involved and if you understand that this is the wrong way to go, if you see it, if 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 you see it, speak it and act on it. And the first part is 
Learn what you're up against. Learn what we're up against. Get to know some trans people because chances are you probably know some trans people already. Mm -hmm. You just didn't know it yet. And from there, get the not get the knowledge. Because what again, what Elliot is saying is very true. A lot of people who are just the a- average workaday people are listening to this. And like Elliot, and I'm glad you brought this up. That a lot of people are thinking, oh, this is gender equity. Okay, this is this is fighting for women. And they think the conservatives have often done this on many issues where they'll tell you it's for one thing, but really it's the exact opposite. If nothing else, conservatives often truly live, conservatives, transphobes, homophobes truly live in bizarro world. And it's by design. They, They will tell you that black is white, day is night and up is down. They will try and say that this say that this bill designed to save women's sports when everything they've gone for, everything he's gone for is tried to hurt women's athletics, hurt women in the workplace. And that's one of the plans that's long range. I might add the long range plan of this is, hey, you know what, move transgender people out of the way. Then we're going to get rid of the rest of you letters. And then along the way, we're going to go after things like Roe v. Wade. And we're going to go after things like the Violence Against Women Act. And we're going to go after things like the Price Waterhouse decision back in 1989. And that's very important because that basically says that if we feel that that you don't dress feminine enough in our workplace, we can fire you. That's what Price Waterhouse in 89 was about. So, Carly, let me pause you right there because... You know, this question of protecting women, um, I think it's really important to point out all of the high level female athletes, professional athletes and organizations that support trans youth and how how important that support is, first of all. Second of all, this these bills really will impact not just trans girls or trans youth, but cisgender girls and cisgender women because of the increased scrutiny on people, especially those who are good at what they do, they will be under scrutiny. And in, in, if a lot of if the, if these bills pass, um, needing to get medical verification to prove uh, their gender identity, and in really invasive ways that are uh, disconcerting in terms of privacy and all kinds of things. So it is not these bills. They may be targeted towards trans youth, but their impact will be much broader. There And there are people who understand this. For example, one of the people in the counter lawsuit in Idaho is a young cisgender girl in high school who basically read the bill, found that, oh, there could be they could be doing genital inspections. I don't want that. Now, genital inspections used to be a part of the highest levels of athletics in the 19 from from the 1920s on when they started letting women when they started having women's com, contest competition in the Olympics. They would have these things called naked parades. They would literally take women who are competing at the Olympics, march them through, have them go in front of the doctors fully naked just to make sure you have all the bits you're supposed to have. That was a practice uh, in the Olympics. That was a practice by the IOC until it was finally stricken down in 1999. So this sort of testing and verification went on almost into the 90s. And in 1999, after athletes squawked about it, they got rid of it. Do we want to go back to those days? And and these things can have far-reaching effects, especially, especially as far as our socialization, 
on who is and who is not a woman because perfect example to what do Michelle Obama and Serena Williams have in mm. common? They are both dynamic cisgender African-American women who, who have been, de- who have been demeaned by people using transphobia to demean them. They've both been called men. How many times did people, even like Tucker Carlson, say that that Michelle Obama is a tra- is a transgender woman, thus she is a man? Serena Williams has been called a, has been called manly man. This and that. Her womanhood has been questioned from the minute she picked up a racket professionally and started dominating the sport, like she has for the last twenty years. Let that sink in. That's what's going to happen. I'll, I'll even give you a personal story. A few years ago, I was out with some friends of mine. We were hanging out. We were at a restaurant and we all went and a couple of, and someone had to go to the bathroom. I had to go too. So one of my friends went. Here's the interesting thing. I didn't get challenged going into the bathroom. My friend did. Now my friend is cisgender. She is lesbian. Now granted, but here's the thing. Because she is butch, and doesn't look like the way, quote unquote, women are supposed to look. She actually got accosted by someone. That's what's going to happen with these bills. These bills come from a great deal of not only transphobia, but also misogyny. When you're hearing these people say things like, well, this XYZ, a women's Olympic champion, got outran by 5,000 high school boys. What you're really saying is, is that trans women are not women and cisgender women suck at sports. It's transphobia and misogyny, and it just won't happen in sports. Mm. It'll happen across our landscape. And me being black, I'm, a, I'm especially sensitive to that because I understand that for women who are not white, womanhood and femininity are always questioned. They're always questioned. We're always seen as not quite. Even if you're cis, mm-hmm. if you're black and brown, if you're anything except white, your womanhood is That's always right. subject to question, always subject to review, and oftentimes denied. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're seeing with these bills here. That's so, exactly it right there. Mm-hmm. That's what you're seeing. Right there. And it's folks ugly, living at the intersection of wrong. oppression. Yeah. Yes. And that's yeah. why I say the things now. While Elliot did butt up against me, and fair points I might add. When I look at the but when I look at this bigger issue, to me, we can't just look at these issues in a vacuum. We have to look at all the connections. Because there are there are these connections, not just at these intersections of sports and healthcare, but also sports is important because to me it's the first domino. Because if you can keep these kids out of sports, then you can say, you know what? We can keep them out of those bathrooms. If we can keep them out of the locker room, we can keep mm-hmm. them out of the bathroom. And and what and Elliot, what happens when you keep a tran- when you keep when you keep people out of the bathroom, what does that happen as far as the school? They don't go to school. <laughs> exactly. You keep them out of school. And then they're going. And and in one of these states in Mississippi, in Mississippi and in Florida, they're looking at not only criminalizing affirmative, affirmative, affirming care for transgender youth. They're looking to do it for all transgender people. There's a number of these states where they're starting to do that. Let's criminalize it across the board. 
Now, if you now if you try and take away my affirming care, we gonna have to box because I'm not <laughs> because I'm not gonna see my doctor and my endocrinologist having handcuffs slapped on them. Mm. I'm not going to. And, I don't want to see police rating say Anchor Health because they want to help trans people. No, no. Well, you bring up a you bring up a really good point since we're talking about fighting for rights and fighting for against all these different things. Let's say there are students listening to this podcast and they want to get involved in their community. They want to get involved on this topic. Where do you think they should start? Elliot, you take the take this away cuz this is you this is you right here. Cuz you've been doing this work, especially in the housing end. For sure. Um, and thank you for that. Uh, well, if you happen to be in New Haven, there is this amazing place called the New Haven Pride Center. Um, even though COVID happened, you know, despite COVID, we're going even stronger. Um, we do internships. We have program officers. We have a woman's program officer. I'm the trans program officer. And then a youth program officer as well as Latinx. Um, We have support groups. We have programs. We have panels. We have a library. We have a closet of affirming clothing. And then besides all that fun stuff, behind the scenes, we're also always working with talking to each other, seeing what projects we can get off the ground. For example, now during COVID, the rent moratorium has happened. Um, because trans people are kind of on the fringes uh, of, of society a lot of the time because they don't have access to stable jobs or housing. Um, when that moratorium ends, a lot of trans people are going to become homeless. Um, that's, that's just a fact, along with a lot of other people, but they're a huge part of that statistic. Um, so right now I, I think we're in talks with like three or four other organizations just about creating housing initiatives, particularly for trans folks and the larger queer community, of course. Um, I will also say at my other job at Life in My Days, we are also doing a trans housing, trans housing project with our own mutual aid software. Um, hashtag we shelter us. Uh, if you want to get involved, but you don't want to come all the way to New Haven, look at where you already all are too. Um, if you're in school, there is probably 80 to 90% some kind of queer org, uh, a club, a support group. If you don't have access to that, there are too many to choose from online. Um, you can get connected. You just kind of have to open the door to it. Um, but I will say the New Haven Pride Center is the best. And if you choose us, I mean, obviously that's the only right choice. But <laughs> that that's just me. No, I'm just backing up what Elliot said. It's like get get plugged in. And that's the mm-hmm. biggest thing because there's yeah. – I mean, there's so many ways to plug in. I mean, I work with one of those ways with Trans Lifeline, which is our, which is North America's only 24-hour a day, seven day a week peer support and crisis line that was created by trans people for trans people, come 100% staffed by wait for it, trans people, <laughs> and 
and for and also for for the kids. I mean, especially for for young people. If you need to, like for example, if you need to talk, if it's really been hitting you, yes, I'm putting the, yes, I'm throwing this number out there. 877-565-8860. That's 877-565-8860. We didn't shut down during the pandemic. In fact, we revved up, we revved up, we upgunned, we started during the during this pandemic over the last year, for example, started a Spanish language, got a fleet of Spanish language operators hmm. that I mean that can deal with people in, that can deal with people in Spanish. That's something that's going to expand and continue to expand. We're continuing to expand the number of operators they have. If you're interested in volunteering, go to translifeline.org. We we don't have enough. We can never have enough people mm-hmm. manning those phones because. The need never takes a break, and neither do we. But at another level, there is organizing being done across this state, be it Life of My Days, be it through the Pride Center, be it through an organization near and dear to my heart, the Party for Socialism and Liberation, which has done a lot of work as far as trans organizing in this state and has helped win victories in this state. There are also organizations such as... um, there's organizations such as SeaTac, um, who I mean, and these were people that got the these were people that pushed and wrote the initial human changes in the human rights law back in 2011. These are the people that wrote it. These are the people that wore out a lot of shoe leather, leather to get it. Among a number of orgs, there is, especially in in Connecticut and in this state, there is a tradition of action that you mm-hmm. can plug into. And that action now more than ever needs you. I mean, I understand, and I know a lot of these things are happy are happening, across, are happening across the country, and we're standing in solidarity with people across the country and with orgs across the country, orgs such as the ACLU who are who are putting out all these legal fires right here. Much love to Chase Strangio. <laughs> To all you, to all these people in all those states pushing these bills, if you haven't heard of Mr. Strangio yet, <laughs> you will. And when he's done with you, you'll wish he ha- you hadn't. But a lot of the, but there's a lot of work that we need to do at home, especially in regards to this pandemic. Also, I want to mention, I want to mention cancel the rent CT mm-hmm. because w- if they drop that moratorium. It's going to hurt a lot of working people in this state. It's and it's really going to have a it's going to have a catastrophic effect on trans people. So we don't need another moratorium. We need to cancel this rent. We need real relief for the people. So though there are so many ways to plug in that not only help trans people, they help all people. But again, at the beginning, plug into these orgs and most importantly, once again, listen to us. Listen, listen to trans, talk to trans people, listen to trans, trans people and understand that we know what we know our lives better than anyone else. The experts are trans people. And right now they are speaking. And right now we're speaking out. We need you to listen and we need you to act. And we need all of us. Carly, that is a, a perfect note to end us on today. You know, listen to trans people, plug in where you can. We need your support. We need your support. And thank you to both of you for doing such critical work um, in Connecticut for the people here and beyond. Uh, and thank you for being here and being part of this conversation today. Absolutely. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, thank you for having us. And also, and Casey, 
Thank you for writing those dope comics. <laughs> <laughs> You're so Thank welcome. You. Thank you for telling your story because it's a story that needs to be told. And that, I mean, it's stories that we need to hear. We need to hear more, especially from trans masculine people, because too often, especially in this sports thing. And before we go, I want to throw an article out to people. It was written by an excellent journalist in their own right. Proud to call him a co colleague. Brittany Dana Crata in Inside Hook a couple of months ago wrote an article entitled, what about the trans athletes who compete and win in men's sports? Huh. And they were talking about how transgender boys at the high school and college level are affected mm -hmm. by all these bills, how, how they are affected by the transphobia and their and how they're fighting for their right to compete and how they're and how they're working through it with their schools and with with their schools and with just the tenor of society right now. This this is a voice and a viewpoint that is often overlooked in the discussion as is trans masculine viewpoints are often too overlooked in trans spaces in general. And I think we need to have the whole width and breadth. So to me, if you want to know if you're one of those people who are saying, well, what about trans boys? There's something that there's a start and there's more articles like it. Let's not, I'm, um, just we like need another it, podcast. Like a, <laughs> well, I'd like actually you know? I'd like to see that. I'd like to see I'd like to see a trans men's round table with KC Elliott. Mm. Get a get a few other people. Hey, if you can get Chris Moser in it, he's available. Mm. If you can get somebody like Reverend Lewis Mitchell in here, mm. I'd be off Reverend Mitchell was a mentor to me in mm. my own process. I am for we need we need as many trans voices as you can. We need people hearing all sorts of trans voices from across the spectrum. We need trans voice, we need trans women, trans men, we need non-binary voices. We need voice and we need voices heard and we need people willing to listen because that's the the reason why these bills succeed is because people don't hear the facts and people don't hear the voices who are going to be affected by this. That's worth one one hundred thousand Laverne Cox covers. Hmm. That's that just hearing the everyday people, because at the end of the day, that's who we are. We're everyday people. Can and I we just want to live? Thing? One last go thing ahead, and then we gotta yeah. go. We gotta go. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I know. I I feel bad because I know. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I also want to say, right, Carly, we're talking about ways to get involved. And I I, I wanna point out as well that. You know, not everyone has the time or the energy to maybe go find an organization to be part of or to better yet, write legislatures, or write your legislators. Um, and I think one of the most critical ways people can help, and especially if you're already part of the queer community, this is something I kind of expect you're already doing, um, is having those conversations with your family and friends hmm. about who trans people are. Um, that right there. Because yeah. it's, again, this is about lack of information, lack of understanding. If, if that was solved, this wouldn't be a thing. Um, and that's the way we humanize this. And you can do yes. that. You can do that from the comfort of your pajamas and your couch. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You can I do cannot agree. I, I cannot agree more with you, especially as someone that's gay. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, 
I need to use my privilege mm-hmm. and educate my family on trans experience and identity and talking about those different problems that are happening in the community. That's my role, mm-hmm. right? Us in the queer community, we're not exempt to this, right? We need to play a role in uplifting everybody else in our community. We have to be very intentional with doing that. And so I love that you bring that up because that is a very good point. And I think it's a point people often forget. And we often need to think, especially black trans women, for ensuring that we have rights Mm -hmm. to begin with. That's right. Right? Mm -hmm. Because they're often the the first ones on the front lines and the last ones to leave. Mm -hmm. When it's time for us to go out there and get our rights, they have never left our side. So... Thank you mm-hmm. so much for saying that. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think we got ended right there yeah. on that. I know right there. No, we threw. Mic drop. We threw. <laughs> we threw. 